The memorial's bleached stone pushes back the grooves of my fingers deeper, tracing words of flame. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Collins Smith Museum of Fine Art. This spring, my colleague Randy Evans worked with four Auburn classes to think about the exhibition Monuments and Myths, the America of Sculptors Augustus St. Gaudens and Daniel Chester French. One of those classes was led by Rose McClarney, a poetry class. In this episode, several of Rose's students read their poems and think about how they approach the assignment. All of the student work can be found on our website. I am Rose McClarney, and I am a professor of creative writing focusing in poetry at Auburn. And I worked with the Monuments and Myths Project with my Poetry 2 class. Every time I teach Poetry 2, I try to have some different sort of uh, focus on content. Um, I'm always teaching the craft element of poetry. Uh, but in this offering, um, I called the course the Poetic I, as in E-Y-E, rather than the singular letter, um, and the idea was finding um, inspiration outside of the self, and part of that was um, spending a lot of time in the museum with you all and looking at these uh, monuments that are going to be coming to be exhibited and um, trying to engage with and write about them in anticipation of the exhibit. So this was their final uh, poem assignment for the course, um, and throughout the course we have been looking at ekphrastic writing, so writing that is in conversation with visual art, um, usually people say about visual art, but I prefer the idea that it's in conversation with it, so it's not merely descriptive. Uh, but we had looked at some famous work, uh, particularly about uh, monuments, so Robert Lowell's For the Union Dead and Natasha Trethewey's Elegy for the Native Guards. And um, we had talked about how these poets were responding to their subject, uh, the latter by providing commentary on uh, the symbolism of the statue and the parts of history it fails to represent. Um, and then the Lowell poem, looking at it um, more contextually, the contemporary setting where the statue was currently situated, um, and using that as a way to talk about American culture. So anyways, we had some of those examples um, to think about, and so I invited students to come and see you and look at the uh, checklist for the exhibit and choose a piece that they were interested in writing about, um, then to do some research on it, which we use uh, rather loosely in poetry class, but, you know... (laughs) We get away with that. Um, to find out some about when it was created and why, and um, and then to uh, draft their own poem, thinking about how they are going to relate to the statue, because it's a piece of art that already exists. So you have to think about what are you going to add to the conversation that is your unique, unique level of creativity, whether it's like your perspective as a contemporary person and you're a speaker who's actually right there in the museum describing it, or whether you're writing in the persona, the voice of the... Uh, statue. Uh, So they came at it from different ways. But I think um, one really interesting example um, from the class was I had a student who chose to go outside of the exhibit that's at the museum, which we also gave them permission to do. Um, And she went to Opelika and looked at the Confederate monument that's there and also talked about, um, in addition to that, particular piece, the surroundings, and focused on the train cars that were passing by and looking at the graffiti and the tags on that and sort of juxtaposing which sorts of uh, voices were being represented in that space. That was really interesting. 
My name is Sarah Grace Van Slyke, and I wrote about the Lee County Confederate Memorial in Opelika. And this poem is called, We Dare Defend Our Rights. I wonder sometimes what heat has to do with war. On that warm April morning when tensions rose with the sun, when boys earned badges in manhood, did their principles drip alongside salt down their spine's ridges? People say Alabama is too heated. The memorial's bleached stone pushes back the grooves of my fingers deeper, tracing words of flame. Defeated yet without a stain, to our Confederate dead, where valor proudly sleeps. But there is a stain, right? Not on this untarnished stone slab, but a blemish exists nonetheless. Or statues elsewhere would not fall to their knees after a century of glorification, loyalty, beheaded, removed by braver people than I. And yet, this stone remains clean. No corrections, no cuts, no Confederates reprimanded for their actions in this warm Alabama town. Not for lack of hot-headed people, though, but because our tracks have two sides. Both sides glimpse the bigger world when it comes barreling behind Lee County's memorial, a freight train, spray-painted in tags, signatures bedazzling it, touched by the hands of people that I may have looked up, down, and scoffed at once. Nor shall your glory be forgot. We shouldn't forget, but one day, Robert E. Lee will no longer stand proud. It's the vibrant trains that will continue to pass through. This is Sarah Grace Van Slyke again, and I wrote this about one of the monuments in Lee County, so the Lee County Confederate Memorial. And I started thinking about this early on when we got the assignment for this poem, when it was mentioned the idea of like repairing or um, fixing monuments and what they stand for through graffiti. And I am taking a class this semester about the rhetoric of graffiti. And so I thought that was really, really interesting. So I talked to my professor to ask him if he knew of any in the area. And he said, no, which that makes sense. Um, but he said, there's this one that I wrote about in my book, and you can see the train going by when you're sitting at the bench and looking at the memorial. And it's really interesting to see a Confederate memorial with this great, or this train that's covered in graffiti passing behind it all the time. And so he loaned me his book, and he let me read it, and I decided that I wanted to go and like sit and see the memorial myself. So I did that. Um, and so I wrote my poem sort of reflecting on the difference of like me because he's from the north and I'm from the south. And so I thought that it was really interesting to see how I looked at this, this memorial and what it stands for and what I grew up knowing about it and how that sort of changed as I got older and um, what it means with my feelings on this based upon how I grew up and also how... Now there are all of these memorials being taken down, especially post-2020 and all of this stuff going on. And so I thought that I would do a sort of introspective type poem about all of that and like what it means for us to have a Confederate monument still standing in Lee County and how kind of crazy that is that it's this big memorial still standing in the center of our town. Um, so that's sort of what the poem was about. Um, and as I wrote it, it just, it kind of just happened. I'm not really sure. It just, 
I wrote it, and then when I went in to revise it, I just sort of leaned deeper into the um, the feelings of myself and, like, how do I phrase this? Like, not being afraid to sort of put myself in the exposure of the light because all of us have our own issues that we need to sort of sort through, and I think that this poem kind of talks about that. Hello, my name is Brooke Leininger, and this is Dear Nike, after the William Sherman Monument by Augustus St. Gaudens, located in Grand Army Plaza in Manhattan, New York. Ah yes, victory is a woman, leading a march to the sea, leaving nothing but scorched earth behind. Was that your plan? I'll admit I found the idea alluring, at first. You seemed so serene. Was the palm frond in your hand, crushed beneath the horse's hooves, like that Georgia pine? Did he send you here? Or perhaps it was wisdom. She's always been a bit glory-obsessed. I used to think of you whenever facing a challenge. I used to dream of you. Surely you didn't choose to accompany the general of your own accord, standing in front of him as he tears down everything in his path. When did victory become synonymous with destruction? How could you fail to mention the peace you promised would cost a fortune in blood? I never dreamt of this. Please say this wasn't all you. There's no hope if this is what you've become. You've been infected with bloodlust, dear Victory. I'm afraid if I keep dreaming, I'll be infected too. I was originally going to write this poem about Victory by Augustus St. Gaudens. I was drawn to the piece because I've always loved Greek mythology, and I was also intrigued because of a discussion I had with my peer on the idea of concepts such as justice and victory being represented as women in art. Initially, I thought that was all the statue was, a visual representation of victory as the Greek goddess Nike, but I discovered through research that this piece is actually a small-scale version of a piece of the William Sherman Monument, which depicts General Sherman on a horse being led by Nike. As I continue to research more about General Sherman and his role in the Civil War, the poem evolved and I began viewing victory through a darker lens. I wanted my audience to contemplate this darker side of victory as well. And to accomplish that level of engagement, I wrote the poem with a human narrator addressing Nike directly. I later added more of this narrator themselves in subsequent revisions with the I statements interspersed throughout the poem. I thought this would increase engagement with the reader, creating empathy with the narrator. The end result is that the poem reflects my own journey with the piece. There's an initial attraction to the idea of victory, and then a slow realization that what we often call victory hides an awful cost. My name is Cole Anderson, and I this poem is after Spirit of the Waters and Working Model of Spirit of Life by Daniel Chester French. Uh, it's titled Sister Spirit Scorned. In the canvas-wrapped studio, I sit discarded, 
the first draft designed with eyes to envy, apparently. The second takes shape. Feet, face, wings. I just watch. I have one wish, not only to gaze, but to be admired by those who would kiss bronze feet hidden beneath draped linen that doesn't cover my breasts, no matter. I was crafted simply to witness, to welcome, with outstretched hands, my guests. Flow, my darlings, use your hearts for a raft, my wings waiting to guide them. I do not know her motives, poised on the pedestal adjacent, with pine sprig and bowl in hand, her feet ready to leap into that wind, swirling the neat robe, veil over her body, dignified. She dwells at the precipice of motion, of change. Feathers from her back have seen more sky than mine, surely. And the bowl, oh, the bowl, she drips the contents, tipped just so when she splashes her onlookers' faces, she can disguise it as a blessing. I was the first, too passive, stagnant. She was the second, so active, animated. So they named her life, and I'm known as Water. This is Cole Anderson. Um, and whenever I looked at Spirit of the Waters, I wasn't sure I was going to write about it. Um, until I just started doing more research on it just to get a better idea. Um, and I've realized that it's the first draft of a commission. Um, and the second version, the final version, was the Spirit of Life. And I found it interesting that the commissioner rejected Spirit of the Waters because uh, he thought that the figure was too passive. Um, and so I kind of focused on the details that were different between the two um, the spirit of life is more is in a more active position as well as she um, is part of a fountain holding a bowl that like spills water actively. Um, and so I thought that was very interesting and I kind of want to touch on this idea of comparison that we face kind of in just daily life and how um, that affects just your kind of self, what's the word? Uh, like self-conscious and just uh, image. Um, and through just writing, I uh, focused primarily on the just, like I said, the differences in two main stanzas between the two. Um, the voice kind of, when talking about each uh, statue, they're both from the point of view of the spirit of the waters. Um, but when describing herself, it's mostly in passive voice. And when uh, describing the spirit of life, it's an active voice. Um, so I kind of thought, uh, thought that difference could could highlight the actual reason that um, the spirit of the waters was rejected. Um, and through revision, I kind of lean more into the idea of envy with it and that um, kind of intrinsic hatred and that comes with being compared to someone else, even though it's not necessarily their fault. My thanks to Rose McClarney and to her students for reading their work with us today. All museum programs, including this podcast, are made possible by listeners like you visit our website at jcsm.auburn.edu to show your support.